Well, you know, we have been studying through 1 Corinthians, and uh, we will return to 1 Corinthians, but something that uh, I have just felt directed by the Lord to do in the last several years, I think I've been doing this for a while, is we begin the year each year uh, with something that probably is a little bit more in the, the prophetic realm of preaching than in the pastoral teaching realm. Uh, and, and not that those should compete with each other. I think they're just different aspects of how God communicates to us as a church. But something that's got a little bit more of a, of a prophetic emphasis from my standpoint uh, would, would be drawing us into biblical truth. Everything should be biblically based. Biblical truth that sits in our day at our time. What's going on in our world right now that, that God has an interest in and that is affecting his people? And so, you know, when you look at the nature of prophetic ministry in scripture, that's kind of where it lands. And, and so we're going to land there this morning with a series that, that what we're going to do to open the year up. And it'll be a number of, of messages. I haven't quite got a sense of how many. Last year I said three or four and it went like six or seven. So I won't, I won't even say a number. We'll just see where the Lord leads. But here's the title of the series this year. Vocabulary for our times. Kairos chapter 2019. You might remember some of that language from last year when we did the Enchanted series. That this word kairos in the scriptures is a word for time. It's one of the words for time that's in scripture. So the Bible actually marks time in more than one way. And so do you and I. And I think that's important for us to catch. There's a a chronology of time. The Greek word chronos is that word. And that just means 2018 just turned into 2019. Monday turns into Tuesday. You can look at your clock. Your clock is measuring chronology. So chronos time is measured one way. But the word kairos in the scripture, it's a little different of a word. It, It has to do with the special things that are happening at any one moment. And for the The Christian, what's important for you and for me is to figure out what's the special thing that God is doing in any particular moment in our lives. That's Kairos time. So when I ask you to start this series off, hey, Lakeview Christian Center, do you know what time it is? Anybody in the world can look at their watch and tell me what time it is. Anybody can say it's January 6th. 2019. That's not what I'm asking though. What I'm asking is, do you know what Kairos time it is? Do you know what God is doing right now in and around you? And and you've got a storyline, right? You're an individual who's walking with God through time. You're a family who is together by God's sovereign purpose. You're part of a church that is moving through time. And so together you and I venture to the edge of our map into this new land. This land of 2019 is before us. And what I want to do with this series is I want to introduce you, and I'll come back to this in a minute. I want to introduce you to the idea that just like when you were a kid and you were reading stories, you know, you got to the next chapter, you were in grammar school, and there was a a new literature story that you were about to begin, and maybe on Monday your teacher would introduce you to that. Well, the first thing they did was introduced you to new vocabulary words, right? Do you remember that stuff? You guys weren't sleeping at that part in school? 
And you had to learn like four, five, six words that were new. They had a definition to them. They were words that you probably weren't familiar with. But if you were going to get the story, you were going to have to understand these words. And, and I think that's true for us today as well. God's about to do things in your life, in our church, in our time, in this chapter that we've just ventured into. We're six days in to chapter 2019. God's going to be doing some things. And I want to highlight some vocabulary words that that if you don't get these vocabulary words, you're going to have a really hard time understanding God's story as it unfolds. Does that make sense? So that's what this series is going to do. Let me give you a sense of recognizing the time. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 engages the kairos of life when it says these things. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. You know, just travel with me for a second in your thoughts, right? You just came out of 2018. 2018 was a chapter in your life. It was a chapter of events and things that took place. Maybe some of that was a great celebration. Some of it was a great hardship, right? Around this room, there are some who 2018 was was a, a, a time to be born. There was... There was new life in your family or something new that God was starting in, in your world. It was exciting. New grandchild, new child was born. For some, it was a time to die. There was separation. There was the end of a journey together and loved ones are not with you in this year. And that, that year felt a certain way, didn't it? And this is why this is so important. Because when, you, when you're going into Kairos chapter 2019, uh, you, you need faith for that setting. You're going to be walking through some particular places that are going to require a particular kind of faith. How many know it takes a different kind of faith for something to be born than it does for something to die? Okay, well, this, this chapter's coming, right, into our existence. Verse 4, Solomon says, a time... To weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In verse 6, he says, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And you just let those words travel into all the different aspects of your life. You know, maybe, maybe 2018 was a time of war, spiritual war, opposition, difficulty. One thing that felt uncooperative after another. And, and, and weren't you in that moment wondering, I'm out of bounds. Somehow I miss God. And, but the, the Bible comes along and says, that could be a Kairos time for you. It could be God is working in something that feels like war or or 2019 could be war for you and maybe not peace for you. These are just the facts of our lives. What's important for us is to know what time it is. 
stop and pay attention and, and hoist our antenna spiritually and to listen for God to say, here's what time it is for you, for your family, for your church, for what I'm doing in your part of the world. Here's what time it is. Because knowing what time it is in that sense is not automatic. Don't assume that just because you moved into 2019, you've moved into the next Kairos of God. And you're aware. And you're engaging, right? Listen, listen to these passages. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. says, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when in this evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the kairos. Jesus was pointing out that there was a group that were asking him questions that were clueless about what time it was. They didn't know who they were talking to. And they didn't know the right questions to ask him. And listen, I, I hope that's not what our prayer closet is like. Right? There are things that God is doing and who he is. And we walk into his presence. Am I aware of who he is and what he's doing? Do I ask the right questions to him? Because I understand the times in which I'm living. See, there, there's two kinds of time. There's what God is doing, and then there's the chronology that travels through that. On a daily basis, you're going to wake up, the sun's going to shine, it's going to set. The sun's going to shine, it's going to set. But you're going to be living within these kairos moments of God. And that's all over scripture, right? If you, if you went back and visited the people of God in Egypt, as we studied through Exodus a couple years ago. They lived for 400 years, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, fall, winter, spring, under bondage and affliction and oppression in the land of Egypt. You can measure that, right? That's a chronology, just time unfolded. But there was a Kairos thing going on there, right? They were in that land because God sent them there. And God provided for them through that. And there was other things that God was doing. When God prophesied to Abraham and said, you're going to be sojourners in this land. There was a revelation that there's going to be something going on in the promised land. That God is doing something over here. While you're having to wait for that to happen over here. The iniquity of the Amorites is not quite yet ripe. For God to visit his judgment upon them. When he brings his people in. See, God's managing all kinds of things that are going on in other places besides right at your foot. That's the kairos of God taking place. And then there's individuals in these stories, right? In the midst of that kairos of God, there's a day when an individual named Moses is going to just be doing his business. He gets up in the morning, checks his clock, goes about his business, and there's a burning bush on the side of a mountain. Wasn't there before. Kairos of God. A time of God's visitation to reveal something to this individual man that's going to have ramifications for everybody in the nation. And he is going to turn aside and encounter God in that moment. So th- this, is, this is just the storyline of God all over the place. You guys remember, fast forward, the nation of Israel is going to go off into exile about the 600s 
BC, you start to get warnings and indications that since you guys won't cooperate with the plan of God here in this land, I'm going to boot you out of the land of promise and put you in Babylon. And God begins to send messengers and warnings. Listen, day after day, right, they went from time to time to time, year to year to year. But what was approaching in God's plan was you're about to be kicked out of this land. That was the Kairos plan of God. That was the time of God for them to come under the weight of their bad decisions and their blowing off the covenant of God. And listen, but, but listen, not everybody gets this stuff. Even Jeremiah, an individual who's going to be called by God. If you read Jeremiah carefully, he has some great revelation from God and then he has some moments where he doesn't get this. It's, it's shocking to read God telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, stop praying the way you're praying. Stop asking me to do what you're asking me to do. If the Hall of Fame prayers in history stood before me, I wouldn't do it, Jeremiah. You ever had God tell you that? What was he praying for? That God would bless them right there in Jerusalem and in the promised land. And God said, that's not my plan. My plan is to kick every last one of you out of here. Well, I'll leave a remnant, but that you're going to Babylon. That's my plan. To understand, God does things sometimes and it just might require us to get in step with him and to know it. That's easier said than done. This great moment when God sends his son, Luke chapter 19. In the form of a man, Emmanuel, God with us, we just celebrated at Christmas. Luke 19, verse 41. says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Oh, that you knew these things. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jerusalem, you didn't know what time it was. Right? Jesus looks on Jerusalem and weeps. What does he weep for? Some popular idea, concept. Did did Jesus weep over the poverty that he saw in Jerusalem? I would have thought that he would. Did, Did he weep over the politics that were taking place in Jerusalem? The corruption taking place in Jerusalem? I imagine there could be tears for all those things. But this verse highlights, he wept Because they didn't know what time it was. The most significant thing in the history of man is happening right in front of them. And they don't know it. God, the creator, has come to them in the form of a man. And they're just busy doing life. If you looked on Jerusalem, it was the major suburban economic metroplex area in that part of the world. They, they were doing life. 
You think they all just, you know, he wept because he looked at them and they just were all just forlorn looking people having a hard time trying to figure out how to do life. These guys were busy. They had an economy. They had jobs. They probably had 5G. You know what that is? It's coming. You're going to see it, see it a lot in news. They were on cutting edge. Jesus looked on their lives with all their activity and he wept. Because they didn't know what God was doing among them. They had a great idea about stuff they could do. They had plans. I'm sure their calendar was filled up. They didn't know what God was doing among them. And this is the great tragedy. The great tragedy of Jesus having come. Emmanuel having come in the flesh. The great tragedy is God was never more near to his people than he was in that moment. His life was manifest among them. And they didn't know it. That's humbling. I, I, I dread to think how, how many times in my life God has come near to me doing things in his Kairos plan in my life. And, and I'm oblivious. I don't know what time it is. I'm just doing life. I'm just trying to keep up with the next thing on my calendar. I'm just chasing the next situation or problem or whatever and here's God in my life doing something near to me to affect me and I'm not noticing right well Lakeview Christian Center do you know what time it is as we enter into this next chapter well hopefully some of these vocabulary words will will help us to be in a place postured to get what God is doing. To not miss God as his plan is unfolding for you, for us, in this coming year. So look with me in, in Romans chapter 12. I want to draw some thoughts from this particular passage. This is one of those passages, you know, Bill was mentioning having been here in the church for 50 years. Just a staggering thought uh, there's no way Nancy's old enough to have been here that long. Bill, yeah, but Nancy could not have been here that long. Um, but this is a verse that at some point in your Christian life, someone encouraged you to memorize this verse. This, this verse should be one of those, travel with you, wake up in the morning, God, tell me what to do kind of verses that's in our lives. And so it's, it's just a... It's a precious verse, and I want to start the year with it, and I want to grab a couple of vocabulary words from it. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I mean, I would like to know that last part. You'd like to know what the will of God is. I think on any given day of my life, 
more than just wanting a particular outcome. I, I think I can genuinely say in my heart, I just, I just want the will of God in and around me, in my soul, in my life. I just, just want to know I'm taking the next step in the will of God. And if your choices were set before you, you can have this favorable situation, this favorable situation, or, or the will of God. No matter what it is, this hidden box, you don't even know what it's going to be exactly. But which would you pick? I would hope as a believer following Christ, you'd say, I I just want the will of God no matter what. Well, this verse calls on us to discern what is the will of God. It is is a form of knowing the time in which God is doing something among us. And there's practical help here. And that first practical help is, is a little bit hidden in this verse. If you memorized it without knowing exactly where it is in the Bible, you missed something priceless. That word therefore. That word therefore is going to collect into this passage 11 chapters that preceded chapter 12. A massive amount of teaching, perhaps I think unrivaled, the largest body of unpacking of the gospel and the doctrine of God for 11 chapters. Who is God and what is he like? Who is man and what is he like? What plan is unfolding from eternity past and promises that have been made to individuals that are coming to fruition? And when it breaks into your life, what will it mean? What will it mean for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and to change and transform you and and give you a new life? And what does it mean that you are entrusting yourself to a God who is sovereign over every detail of every decision that's ever going to be made. And he will fulfill his plan. All right, that's, that's 11 chapters of Romans in a couple of sentences that bring us to this, this moment where now Paul is going to, he's going to say something to them. You, you now can hear something that he's going to say because 11 chapters have informed and equipped you to hear what he's about to say next. So, how important is it that you and I have a Bible reading plan in place for 2019? Because what he calls them to do to present themselves to God and don't be conformed to this world... He's launching that out of a place that's exploded with a revelation of truth. This is what, I mean, Paul comes on the scene having exploded. When you, when you get to the end of chapter 11 and Paul's explained all this, I, I believe this is a translation of the last few verses. I think Paul just looked at his writer and said, my mind is blown. Right? How many of us haven't had our minds blown by God in a while? I'm serious. When God stops blowing your mind, you're not going to be real interested in chapter 12 and what comes after it. You need to get your mind blown. This is what Paul sounds like, the end of chapter 11, verse 33. He explains all this stuff, scratches his head and goes, oh, oh my, oh, the depths. Of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. God, you are blowing my mind. With the way you are. The way you operate. Your gospel. 
how you function, who I am, all that's come to me, the promises that are now mine, the creation you have made me into. Ah, my mind is blown. That's Paul going into these next couple of verses. John Piper says, Paul was saying, I will now call you in chapters 12 through 16 to a a kind of life that is built on something. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It has roots. This new Christian life is built on chapters 1 through 11. So so when, when you hear anybody telling you to do something in the kingdom of God, to, to live a ter- certain life, to make certain choices. If, if that's coming to you minus 11 chapters before it, you, you have a very dysfunctional Christianity. Very dysfunctional. You have got to make space to let God blow your mind as he reveals himself in truth. And not just say, oh, I'm going to try and do the Christian life. I'm going to try and do the Christian life. (laughs) Get your mind blown before you try to do the Christian life. He turns around in chapter 12, verse 1, and and he gives a do and a don't in this passage. Do present yourself to God in worship. Do that after all you've just heard. In view of the mercies of God, do present yourself to God in worship. Charles Spurgeon says, and what are we to do? To present our bodies to God, not our souls alone, to make real practical work of it. Let this flesh and blood in which your body dwells be presented to God. So hold on to that when I come back to this whole thought of presenting ourselves to God. It, it is mystical. It is spiritual. It is practical. It will involve these bodies being in particular places at particular times, doing particular things, encountering something specific that this body and these eyes and my mental faculties are going to be involved with. So it is practical as well. But then he also says, do not, don't be conformed to this world. So 11 chapters of Revelation... And then do this and don't do that. Let me just carefully say this. Um, If you're like me, and I will put this on myself, and you can wear it if it's you. At some point, you've explained to people that Christianity is just simply not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Right? You you can quote Keith Collins sticking right underneath there. I have, I have sat across from people and said that to them. I have encountered people and said that to them. I have met with people and said that to them. Christianity is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. And there's a reason to say that. But sometimes our bumper stickers are used in too many places. Bumper stickers need a context. So if you and I are having a conversation about how to, how to be in a relationship with God, how to get the holy God of the universe to be okay with you, How to live a life where you're going to actually graduate into heaven one day when you expire from here. In that context, it would make sense for me to say, listen, Christianity is not just a list of do's and don'ts. It makes sense for Paul, after 11 chapters of revealing truth, to turn around and say, oh dear Christian, 
your life is very much affected by do's and don'ts. Now you have to figure out how to manage that in your life. That theology is in the scriptures. It sounds here as though what, what I'm going to live in 2019 is influenced by some do's and don'ts in my life. It's not as though I can approach 2019 and say, oh, I'm ignoring it. I don't need to know anything. All this figure out what God's doing, discern the will of God. Why? There's no do's for me. There's no don'ts for me. I'm under grace, man. I've been saved by grace. Haven't you read the gospel? Well, you know, the dude who wrote 11 chapters on the gospel starts his next thought with do this and don't do that. So there has got to be a place for that. Quit, quit being junior bad theologians. That you come to the Bible with these alarming things because you read a paragraph in a book that was really, really well written and, and a lot of them really are. And you memorized it and it, it bore witness with you. Oh, I'm, I'm just lamenting under the weight of stuff to do, stuff to do. Everything's about stuff to do. And then somebody writes a book about grace and you read it and you, oh, 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 that's so refreshing, splashed it on me. Oh, oh, oh. And it's like your ears shut down. It's like, okay, I can never read chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 again. Because it tells me don't do something. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Back under the don't and the do. Uh, Keith, hasn't anybody told you that Christianity isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts? Yeah, I've said that too. But right here, it very much is a do and a don't. It's just a do and a don't for a non-justifying reason. Everything we read in the Bible should not be stuffed under the doctrine of justification and we go, taboo, oop, taboo. That violates the doctrine of justification, taboo, taboo. That, that's bad theology. Paul, nowhere here, after unpacking the gospel like nobody else does in the history of man, has no problem saying, you know, it might matter what you do and what you don't do. And in our day, if you don't hear this first vocabulary word screaming at you, you are in trouble to cross the land of 2019 in the information age. If you can't hear God install the word don't in your life, you're in trouble. Don't be conformed to this world. What are those words telling us? Well, that word conform simply means this. To conform oneself, one's mind, one's character. How do you know our our internal default settings? the, the, The reasons why we do stuff? The things that motivate us in our character? To another's pattern? To fashion one's self according to a pattern? So you learn a pattern, you observe a pattern, you are influenced by a pattern, you begin to fashion your life in agreement with that pattern. One Bible dictionary translates this line as, stop being molded by the external and fleeting fashions of this age. It's very helpful. Stop being molded by 
these fleeting ideas, these fashions of the current age. And that's why this is so needed for us to hear it, not the way the people in Romans needed to hear it. But I need to hear it for today, for for how is my age in chapter 2019 fashioning me? What kind of mold is being used on me today? You guys have seen molds. How many of y'all ate a bunt cake over the holidays? Any bunt cake eaters? That's a mold. Why did that cake look that way? Well, because it was shaped and formed by a mold. Well, this is exactly what he's saying. Something seeks to shape you and form you. There's a mold. There's a mold today that wasn't here previously. And it will want you to look like a particular form of bunt cake when it's done with you. And what is that? He says, well, don't be conformed to this world. What is this world? Well, I'm going to put this world and that word in the context of how we use the word culture. Because I think very much that's what it is. The world is the culture that we live in. And we live in a particular one in America in 2019. Here's an interesting thought, a couple of quotes for you today from a book by James Emery White called Meet Generation Z, Understanding and Reaching the New Post-Christian World. And Generation Z would be, you know, one of those generational definitions. It's hard to get everybody to say the same thing, but uh, 25 and under would be Generation Z in a, a loose definition. But here's what he says in this book. Very helpful. He says, so what is culture? Well, culture is the world in which we are born and the world that is born in us. Or put another way, the world in which we live and the world that lives in us, which means we are talking about everything. Okay, and and please, before some of y'all get more spiritual than the Bible on me, the world was born in you. Don't be sitting here saying, oh, I ain't born in me. Huh. I'm serious about God. Oh, really? Are you wearing clothing? You speak English? Did you drive a car here today? Do you watch the news at all? Do you interact with any form of ideas around you? Listen, that's all cultural. Every topic that somebody brings up with you, why do they just not talk about the weirdest, most bizarre stuff? People who do, we stay away from them right? They just come up with strange things they want to talk about. You're kind of like, ooh. Why does it make you go, ooh? Because your culture taught you what topics are okay for you to talk about. You're meeting the person for the first time, you talk about certain things, right? Where'd you learn that? The culture taught you that. You know somebody for a long time, you can venture into a different category. This is all cultural stuff. You know, why your clothes have sleeves on them and why your shoes have laces on them, The culture is born in you. Don't for a second think it's not already in you. And of course it is. Culture is the comprehensive penetrating context that encompasses life and thought, art and speech, entertainment and sensibility, values and faith. It cannot be reduced to that which is simply economic or political, demographic or technological. It is a spirit, a perspective on the world. It doesn't simply give a context for our values. It shapes our values because it has values in and of itself. The news media is a screaming form of culture. I was just having this conversation with somebody recently. You know, if you're old enough, you remember there was a Walter 
Cronkite, who reported the news. Okay, if you're old enough to know who he is, how many of you guys recognize Walter reported the news differently than the guys who report it today? Right, Walter wasn't bugged by the news. He wasn't on one side of the news. He was just telling you, this happened today at this time in this place. Today, you are told how to feel about what happened. And you might not even be told all of what happened in order to get you to feel a certain way. That's culture. It doesn't just provide the atmosphere for something such as communication. It forms what communication is and how it is achieved. Culture alters not only what is said, but also what is heard and how. This is why younger generations and older generations are having such a hard time communicating with each other today. They don't speak the same language. Oh, yeah, we are all speaking English. But they don't speak the same language. They don't mean the same things. They don't start in the same places with ideas. So if you're talking to somebody who's 30, 40 years younger than you, you you need to take into account, you, you may have to really try and understand what they're hearing and understanding because it's not what you think you're saying that they're getting. It cannot be reduced to any one thing. Instead, it is an entire way of life. And he has, listen, it is largely self-created. Culture is something we invent, create, and fashion. Oh, I wish the youth were not across the lake for this. But maybe all of us could, could be helped out by a reminder. Culture gets invented by somebody at some time. Somebody comes up with an idea... And it's, it's kind of new. Nobody else is following it yet. And I don't know. I was bored today. I thought of this. Posted it. Promoted it. Sold a product on it. And next thing you know, kind of got its own life. And everybody's got to do it. Everybody's got to have it. You know, there's pressure. Michael Kors. Louis Vuitton. Right? What? I didn't even know who Louis Vuitton was. I had to look that up. I didn't know how to spell it. Calvin Klein, I know who he is. Beyonce. Right, do you understand all these people were nobodies at some point? They were absolutely nobody. But somehow we have to have their clothing or handbag. And my life really... Keith, I hate to admit it, but my life just stinks because I don't have that purse. <laughs> right? Where did that get so valuable? It's just a purse. Somebody else is making a purse. Oh, no. Honey, I bought you this purse. Thanks. It's got an opening in the top and handles. No? Wrong? Wrong burst. Where does this stuff find its unique life in us, right? Culture. Somebody invented this stuff. There's somebody out there making purses that are just as good. You know nothing about him. He's a nobody. You're never going to own his purse, and you don't care. Why? Because culture isn't presenting him to you like... This is a must-have. You got to have this. 
So realize there are some cultural ideas that you're going to come in contact with, our younger people especially, that are going to present themselves to you like, oh my gosh, you have got to go in agreement with this or forget the good of your life. I mean, it just feels like it's, these are life-defining things for us. He says, I was, I was struck by a quote I came across one day. He said, I am the art in your art houses, the ideas in your institutions, the laws in your land, the message in your movies, the thoughts of your teachers, the values your kids value. I affect you. Do you affect me? Signed, Culture. Well, there are different molds in different places in different times. When Jesus interacted with the scribes and the Pharisees, he was interacting with a mold that was being put on those people. A religious, rules-oriented, self-righteous approach to God was a mold that people were being forced into. Now, how many of you guys know just in the Bible from when Jesus interacted with that to what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians? How many of y'all know that the mold is different for the Corinthians? The Corinthians were Romans and Gentiles with a sprinkling of Jews. There was some of those ideas, but they were not the predominant ideas. As we travel through Corinthians, there's a lot of sexual immorality going on. There's a lot of idolatry issues taking place because the mold that they had been under the influence of was Roman and, and Greek. Fast forward into our lifetimes. How many of you guys know that the mold of 1955 was a different mold than the one of 2019? Different mold, right? Different issues, different values, different feelings, different ideas. But, but you and I have got to hear as we venture into this 2019 is this is the reality of the fallen world that we live in. And, and Paul leads into this with our vocabulary word today. Don't! There is a massive exclamation. Don't be conformed to this world. And the ideas are coming faster than you and I can read them and keep up with them. As a matter of fact, one writer said this could be the last generation. Not because everybody's going to die off, but because generations tend to be identified with the ideas that, that hold them together. But I've noticed as I read on these generations, these generations keep getting shorter and shorter. You know, right? Millennial. When, when the guy said, "Oh, 25 and down," I'm thinking, "Well, that's still millennials, technically. How can you say that's Generation Z?" Well, and he's got a Generation Z is like a 14-year window. I thought, well, I thought generations were at least 20 years. Ideas don't stay around that long. They change so rapidly today, and you and I are going to travel through those ideas. Don't be conformed. To a culture that indulges itself in everything. And it has figured out a way to validate that practice. That that's the right thing to do in your life. Is to give yourself to anything and everything that comes along. So in our world, the sexuality issue has so radically moved. And those of us who, you know, child of the 60s and 70s. You know, the revolution started, right? So that generation needs to take responsibility for what you began. Welcome to the mess you created. But back then, we thought cross-dressing was like, oh, didn't you? Oh, guy wearing girls' clothing. Oh, it's like, oh my gosh. 
Well, now they just go and get all the parts changed. I mean, you just go and get surgery. Not wearing, you're wearing other stuff now. In our lifetime, how quickly the ideas have shifted. This is the common, this is what our common culture sounds like. Mayor Bill de Glacio said this the other day, tweeted this. Everyone has a right to their own identity. Everyone has a right to be themselves. Right? I mean, if you read this 40 years ago, what, what, where would you go with that right now? What would you be thinking? Okay, yeah, what does that mean for everybody to have the right to be themselves? Would you go here? That's why New Yorkers can now change their gender from male, female, or X on their birth certificate. So you, you can be male, female, or none of the above. To our transgender and gender non-binary neighbors, New York City sees you and has your back. All right, now there's a reason why that's being said. And, and I am not saying this today. And I'm going to touch base on this a good bit throughout the year. Um, I'm not trying to give out this kind of information to make us obnoxiously protest our culture. Because we are here to reach our culture. And if you are an obnoxious protester of the culture, you will not reach the culture. There's a difference between identifying what is godly and what is not, what was God's ideas and what is not God's ideas, and being obnoxious towards other people. And so this is the culture that we're growing up in. Our young people are growing up in this culture. I just want to give you a large feel for it here. It's a long quote, but insightful and helpful. James Emery White says, Generation Z is the most racially diverse of any generation to date. As a writer for the Bloomberg News put it, it may be the first generation for which diversity, that's a big word, is a natural concept. They are globally connected, which means their social circles are often global. Or as one research project put it, 26% of Gen Z would need to fly to visit most of their social network friends. All right, do you understand what this does? When you grow up on the same block, in the same family, with the same ideas, your diversity is very limited, isn't it? The information age has exposed us to a global set of ideas, to people who didn't grow up around what you grew up around, who validate things that you've never thought of validating, and, and you're having relationships with these people. Young people are especially. It's creating a different world for them. And you and I need to understand that, that world as best we can. He says, this diversity also leads to being, quote, accepting and inclusive. Those are, those are big words, aren't they? Inclusive. That's a big word in our culture today. That's why Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, stands up and says what he says. Because he feels the culture in this category. And he has to speak to it and relate to it. And he wants to sound inclusive. That's what the culture is demanding that you feel like. Some have described this as the kumbaya dynamic, members of Generation Z standing in a circle holding hands. They're connected to people around them and aware of the world beyond themselves. And this is showing up in the sexual area. He's got a heading called sexually fluid. It says the accepting nature of Generation Z leads to strong support for such things as gay marriage and transgender rights. The generation coming behind us is not shocked by same-sex marriage like we were. It's not in their DNA. It's common. It's just part of the landscape of life. It's just what people do. 
when you and I interact with that generation, we need to be prepared to understand that about them. All they did was sort of absorb the culture that they have grown up in, just like you and I absorb the culture that we have grown up in, and our culture was outraged by that. Theirs is not. So don't be shocked when your kids are not outraged by these things. That's just a normal part of the landscape for them. They are coming of age in the era that has put such things in the mainstream, such as 2015 when the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage and former Olympian-turned-reality TV star Bruce Jenner very publicly became Caitlyn Jenner. Indeed, according to the Northeastern University study, the question of same-sex marriage is decisively settled for them with 73% in favor of it. For Generation Z, the idea of acceptance is often interchangeable with the idea of affirmation. So you're interacting with a younger person who doesn't know how, what to do with these elements. And so when they encounter an idea contrary, they have been taught to accept for the sake of diversity and to affirm that. So listen, just be prepared that you're going to encounter this in your kids. Your kids are being influenced by the culture. The culture is in them and they are in the culture. So they're going to sound a certain way. And you're going to need to walk with them carefully because they, they're not you. And they have been pressed into a mold of their day. Yet it would be a mistake to see Generation Z as simply the product of an abrupt social change related to such headlines. As Michael Gerson and Peter Winter have noted, when the Supreme Court decided in Obergefell v. Hodges that the Constitution guarantees a right to same-sex marriage, it was the result of cultural trends that emerged in the context of heterosexual not homosexual relationships. Marriage was not redefined only by the Supreme Court, they write. It was also redefined by decades of social practice. Thank you, 60s and 70s. You began to redefine sex. You started the sexual revolution. He says, in other words, decades of radical individualism, particularly in sexual ethics that resulted in a shift in attitudes, behavior, and laws on divorce, abortion, cohabitation, out-of-wedlock births, gender roles, and now decisively, same-sex marriage. You understand, we see all those things different now, don't we, in our culture. And that shift began years ago. Translation, Generation Z is the cultural product of decisions made by earlier generations as opposed to their own. Nonetheless, from this shift in attitudes and behaviors, Generation Z has become sexually and relationally amorphous. Consider the influential statements by outspoken young celebrities such as Kristen Stewart, Miley Cyrus, Cara Delevingne. Stewart when asked about her sexuality, said, I think in three or four years, there are going to be a whole lot more people who don't think it's necessary to figure out if you're gay or straight. It's like, just do your thing. And from Miley Cyrus, I don't relate to being boy or girl. I don't have to have my partner relate to boy or girl. Do you understand? This sounds normal increasingly. You, know, you have to be older for this to still make you go, what? The younger you are, the, the less foreign this feels. Yet you are left with a Bible that says, 
don't be put in the mold of your culture. But here's where that becomes really difficult. This last quote from James White, he says, what's being revealed is an increasing sexual fluidity that refuses either the homosexual or the heterosexual label. The idea is that both labels are, listen, repressive. Controlling, right? Too narrow of a boundary. Sexuality should be set free from any and all restrictions. And people should be allowed to follow their desires moment by moment. That idea, regardless of where your sexuality stances are, that idea is what's in the bloodstream that empowers all these other things. And we are in the culture, but the culture is also in us. That idea isn't Christians. We're not crazy about things that repress, restrain, Make small the potential and the possibilities of our lives. Give me opportunities. Give me options. Don't make one of them look like it's a bad option. Don't don't do that. Because I want my options. And then we get to this wonderful place in Romans where all this deep truth has been served up to us. And we're invited in to swim in it deeply and to be affected by it. And it starts off with a don't be conformed to the mold of your times. Why? Because that's going to justify you somehow? If you avoid being shaped by the world, then God will accept you in the heaven. Is that what you're thinking this says? What this is saying is if you want to experience the riches of what God has just laid out for 11 chapters, you're not going to experience it by being conformed to the current trendy ideas of your culture. You will need to live at war with your culture in your own soul. And you'll need to figure out how to do that in the world as well. But don't. Listen, our culture is making it feel like it's wrong for me to tell you don't. There's a reason why some of this theologically is getting a little popular. Why churches that are just positive and churches that just kind of major in empowering you to do whatever is the next thought that you've got to do. There's a reason why that's feeling popular. Because the culture is in us. And the culture is saying, don't repress me, man. Don't put me in a box. Don't restrain me. Don't tell me what I can't do. So when a preacher, or you open your Bible, and it stands up and says, don't to you, that feels repressive, that feels like, there's something not right with that. Because we are in the culture, and the culture is in us. Please don't anybody here think you're escaping this. I don't care if you're the most spiritual person who's ever walked in this building. You are not escaping the influence and the polluting effect of a fallen world. That's heaven. Your body's got pores in it and stuff comes in. And a lot of it came in without you even giving it permission. You didn't even know it was coming in. But this is how life feels right now. How many people, you know, if we sat through counseling situations and talked through issues where, you know, that's, that's not a good choice right there. What you're doing, that's not a good choice. Well, the reason why that person is doing it is because it feels like a good choice for them. It feels right for me. 
feel, it feels like I'm okay with doing this. This, this furthers and helps me. And, and then you've got to highlight the other players that make that right or wrong. You might have to talk to them about, well, that doesn't further and help your wife. See, individualism that that guy mentioned? Individualism not looking to the other person. It's just looking to itself. All right, here's, here's our reality. Let me just mention this from Psalm 24. Here's how the Lord says this kind of stuff. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers, right? God owns this place. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not, does not, don't do this, lift up his soul to what is false. 2019, church, don't, don't lift up your soul to what is false. As you travel through the land, you live in the information age, it's everywhere seeking your attention vying for you to agree with it, making you feel a certain way about your life and about what you hear and principles that are being taught. Don't let the mold begin to shape you. Don't lift up your soul to things that are false. All right, let me scoot way to the end here. There's always too much to say. Do something, though. Do present yourself to God. Do that. Present yourself to God. Right? That, that word, it, it, it means to, to give yourself, to yield yourself to God, to offer yourself to God, to place near, to stand by God. There is an intentional act here that God calls for. He says, don't do something, but he says, do something. And so here's, here's, here's 2019 is before us. You and I have the opportunity to live in something in 2019. God invites us in and he installs some vocabulary words. So we're about to read the story of 2019 and all that God will do and who he wants to be, how that's going to pertain to us, the people, the activities of our lives, and God installs some vocabulary words before you go into the story. Pay attention to these vocabulary words. You're going to need to use them and you're going to need to understand what they mean. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't. Have that in your mind. Don't indulge in everything. Don't think everything's neutral. Don't make everything okay with you. Don't be discerning about things. Do present yourself to God. Be fully available. Tear down the boundaries. Do you you have boundaries in your life for God? Do, Do you have places in your life where you tell God, God, you can come this far, but no farther? Dude, do not cross into this category. If you want to know what those categories are, they're the categories that interfere with your fears and your ambitions. That's what creates your borders. God, you can come this far, but if you go any farther than that, I'm afraid of what that looks like. I'm afraid of what that 
might call on me to do or what might have to change. So, God, yeah, Keith, I'm available, but, you know, it's a limited availability. Or I really want something. I really want. I've got some ambitions in my life. I, I, I want things. I want my life to be a certain way. So I'm available to God, but with some borders. Because I, I, I want him to make my dreams come true. I want him to go to work with what I want him to go to work on. Okay, listen, that's not what this word means. This word means present yourself to God. God. Everything I am is yours. For 2019, everything I am is yours. No restrictions. No restraints. Not my fears telling me what I can and can't do, but you and you alone. And that, that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to pray together about that. Kurt, you can, you can come back up, buddy. And I want you to ponder this. I want you to just consider your own presentation. Listen, presentation doesn't happen like 2019 happened after 2018, right? Well, you know, whether you cooperated with it or not, didn't the clock just keep ticking? 12 o'clock, 2019, you don't have to cooperate with that at all. You got something to say about whether you're presenting. That doesn't just happen because time has marched on. It's a question for you. What does it mean for you to present yourself to God? Right right now, at this moment in your life, teenager, college student, beginning a career, pondering marriage, married, raising children, ready to retire, wherever you are, what does it mean for you And have you had a conversation with God about what it means for you to present yourself to God, a living sacrifice? You're going to go on living, right? This is a good good news about being a sacrifice in this passage. In most passages, the sacrifice is no longer a living sacrifice. But you and I get to live 2019 from a posture of I've presented myself to God. So what, what, what does that mean for you this morning? Have, have, you, have you had that conversation with God? You've taken down the borders and the boundaries. You've said, God, no, it's, it's all yours. God, everything I am. I'm willing in categories that I'm struggling to be willing in, but God... I give that to you. I present that to you for you to make me willing to do of your good pleasure. God, I'm afraid of that. And I've resisted that. And and, and God, I know I've refused to go there. But 2019 is here, Lord. I want to present myself. What if I I call you to do that? God, if that's what presenting means, I I don't want any boundaries, Lord. I, I don't want my fears to dictate my path through this year. I don't want my ambitions to dictate my path through this year. I just want to present myself to you. I think that's the posture God wants for us as individuals, families, as a church. So here's what I want us to do. I just want us to be quiet and wait on the Lord. I want you to have a conversation with God. And and I I want you to actually get something from God. So here's, here's how I'm going to do this.
you feel like you can answer that question. God, what does it mean for me to present myself to you in 2019? When you feel like you can answer that question, you're dismissed. Okay? I know it might be a hard question. It may be a little thing that God puts his hands on this morning. But you've got to give him access. You can't present and hold back at the same time. The word means to yield. So let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for the life you have given us. Lord, thank you that we're traveling into a new year. Thank you for informing us that you are the God who goes before us with good, precious promises into land that's flowing with your abundance and your goodness to us. Transformative goodness. Empowering goodness. Kingdom advancing goodness. Supernatural goodness. A love that none other but you can offer us goodness. Lord, we we have much to anticipate in this coming year. And in view of the mercies that you have had on us, Lord, you call us today to present ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, what's keeping me from making that presentation? But I want to remember that I left that thing on page January 6th. And then I ventured on into the year that you had for me with a heart that's open and available, with a heart that wants to be next to you, near to you, Lord. I want to live a presented life in 2019. So Lord, as we are quiet for a moment, would you speak to each one of us, husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, singles, young people, older saints in our midst, What's it mean for me, Lord, to present myself to you?
guys have children in children's ministry, they probably would welcome you to come get your children at this point. Listen, if you want to stay and pray longer, please do that. If you're here starting this year, knowing that you just need some special prayer, need in your life, something you're looking at that's coming that you just want the elders to pray with you about, we're going to be available to do that. So if you'd like to join us and ask us to pray for you, please come forward and find any of us who are standing up here waiting to pray with you guys. And the rest, you're welcome to pray and and be released by the Lord uh, into 2019.